0: 2022 has been a year of return to travel for me. And over the time of sheltering in place and staying close to home, this year was an exciting time for travel as more destinations opened their doors to welcome us back. Now, on today's show, I love to wrap up the year with a best of show. Every place I visited this year was really fun and exciting. But, you know, there are a few places that gave me a little bit more of a new perspective of the people, foods and culture all the kind of things that I dislike. So it wasn't easy to choose. I have to tell you that from a couple of shows, from all of the shows from this year, but here they are. And I'll start with an amazing journey by train on the Rocky Mountaineer along the Canadian Rockies. This was a fantastic trip. In May, I had the fabulous opportunity to take a trip with Rocky Mountaineer through the Canadian Rockies on their riding call, First Passage to the West in their Gold Leaf Double Dome Coach. Fabulous, darling. I mean, it was fabulous. Views from the side of the train, from the top of the train, views all over. And I traveled with an outstanding service-oriented crew who pulled out all the stops for service that I really call it beyond customer service. It was more like family and friend service. The onboard team was Tyler, Travis. The train manager was Colin. Executive uh, chef was Caleb. And they just, I mean, they just really pulled out all the stops as we explored the Canadian Rockies. And during the show, I'm going to hear a lot more from Colin as well as from the chef a little bit later on in the show. But I want to start by talking with Carolyn Rohali, who is the communications manager, and she's the one who hosted us along with Nicole and Dallas. And Carolyn gives us an overview of the company and what you can expect when you book your getaway with Rocky Mountaineer.
1: Rocky Mountaineer is a luxury train that offers all-daylight rides um, th- through some of the most scenic iconic landscapes that North America has to offer. And the thing that makes us special is our glass dome coaches. Huge windows, so you get to see all of the landscapes, so you get to watch for wildlife. And the great thing is that we travel during the days and we stop overnight so that you can rest and be ready for the next morning so you don't miss any bits of the scenery. And that is really the,
0: the fantastic thing about it because as soon as you walk onto the train and you're in your coach... you I mean the ceiling with the you know with the dome and you can
1: see out to the sky you know that this is going to be something special absolutely yes yep. you you step on and you meet our onboard hosts who offer spectacular service it is an early start so we make sure that you're caffeinated you get your coffee and tea (laughs) that you need and we make sure that you're fed so you get a three course breakfast to start you right off (laughs) and as the city rolls away you you get out of uh, out of Vancouver, in our instance, and you just start to relax. You start to enjoy our amazing cuisine, and the, the, our onboard hosts are looking after you. And then they start telling stories about the environment around you, and you get to know about the local area where you're visiting. And it's just the most incredible experience. And then that's what your hosts tell you. They tell you stories about um, not just uh, the people that that live in the environments and and how and how the areas have formed, but you also get uh, stories about the nature and the geology and the geography and it's pretty great uh, you just you get into the mountains and what did you think about the rocky mountains and
0: you know i mean it was just spectacular it's a, again to be able to look out the sight windows but also to the dome and just see the sky and the mountains you get the full view so it's not like you're trying to you know kind of find the spot everywhere your coach is a spot to see the mountains absolutely and, just, and when they become snow-capped for, especially for a southern girl.
1: <laughs>
0: it's like, oh, my goodness, there's snow in May. So, yes, yeah, so it's just one. It is spectacular. I kept asking people that were that are traveling with us, you know, what's another word? Because I keep saying, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I mean, how many times can you say, it's so beautiful? You can right. say it a million times.
1: Uh, yes, exactly. And so what were some of the other words that uh, that your fellow travelers came up with?
0: It's so beautiful. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> then we did finally say, okay, spectacular.
0: And you, you do become, you know, I say sometimes you need to be a poet. Mm-hmm. to come up with all the words sometimes and really describe what you're feeling the emotional kind of things that come up when you see something that is so magnificent and spectacular
1: like yeah. that that's another great thing about the Rocky Mountaineer it's so social you just end up meeting friends on the train and mm-hmm. you just have the opportunity to talk to people and you you can meet people from all over the world and but share this uh, beautiful experience. Exactly, a lifetime experience. Yes, exactly. A once in a lifetime experience in, in some cases for a people, but I think once you're on the train, it won't be once in a lifetime. It's going to be, and I've got to do each of your routings. One of the joys and the experiences that Rocky Mountaineer offers is that we get to places that cars don't, and it's also a completely different experience. So when you're driving, you have to navigate, um, you're, looking, you're looking at the road. Well, I hope you're looking at the road if you're driving. <laughs> but you don't even have to do that what on Rocky Mountaineer. About it. You just sit back, relax, and you let... Uh, you're kind, you're pampered a, a, a lot
0: because you start to feel like family, even with the crew. You know, you mentioned how you get to know, you know, the fellow passengers, but the crew as well, and you start to feel as though, well, Colin's like my brother. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what it was, saying know. And too. you know, yeah. the chef, you know, Caleb is like, that's my brother over there. So you do get the feeling as though you are part of a family. It's it surpasses what you would call customer service
1: i'm so happy you think that because i think that too i i i've been on a few uh, train rides uh, train journeys now and everybody who comes off the the train you feel like you're best friends with your onboard host and they know so much about you and they remember everything about the past uh, about our guests Mm -hmm. you know you um you order something once and they go oh you like your coffee with with milk and sugar or you Mm -hmm. like your tea black and they they know immediately so as you say. Surpasses it service. Does. It does, and I mean, then does. with, and then um, how did you feel? So Anita traveled in our gold leaf double dome. Yeah, let's talk about that because you do have two two levels, mm-hmm. two options yes.
0: that people can choose. And I was in the gold leaf, mm-hmm. and that is when you have the chance to be in the coach that has the dome that has the open ceiling. Yes, and um, oh, it was. I mean. I personally think that's the way you gotta go. Because the you know, just the ability to see the scenery in that way, I think is really what really brings that over the top. And then you got a little extra service but the silver I believe is is, is equally you know, I mean, there's no, oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's no reason yes. for someone to think, well, if I can't, you know, budget in, you know, the gold
1: leaf, that silver is definitely there as their option. Yep. So you still get, with with uh, both silver and gold leaf, you get incredible views, our friendly service, and our amazing cuisine. And everything's been delicious. So we get breakfast and we get lunch on board. And not only just breakfast and lunch, but the, an entire three-course breakfast and yes, lunch absolutely. with snacks in between. With snacks in between, Absolutely. drinks you get so many beverages you're 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 always happy and looked after and a neat thing about or a special thing about the cuisine is that everything is local locally sourced and Everything is unique to the regions that we pass through. Mm-hmm. So one highlight um, on the uh, first passage to the west, for instance, is uh, salmon because you get BC salmon mm-hmm. that uh, that is delicious. locally sourced and delicious. Delicious BC salmon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, up with our US route, the Rockies to the Red Rocks, uh, there is one particular dish that everybody goes cra- crazy for. It's the biscuits and gravy. Mm-hmm. So south- southern yes. and it's a huge hit so and we also serve the um, local beverages so you really get a taste Literally, of the area that you're traveling you, through. You
0: really do. And the menu has several selections. So if you're vegan, gluten free, those type things, all of that is taken into consideration so that you don't have to feel it so well. You know, if I don't like, well, I'm talking so much about salmon, well, is there anything else? But yeah, there's chicken, there's beef, there are all types of options. So you do have many options. It's not just one or two things on the menu, it's quite an
1: extensive menu. It is. And it's just such an amazing treat. And it, everybody is amazed to know that on our Canadian routes, we have full kitchens. Um, otherwise known as galleys, mm. and, uh, and, and the chefs are preparing the meals for you. So it Prepare really. Prepared to order. Prepared to order. And then, and then uh, uh, you know, sometimes you're treated to, at the end of the day, you might, mm. if you're extra special, you might get a freshly baked cookie. You can oh, yeah. smell it in the, in the train coach. <laughs> and it is pretty amazing.
0: It's, well, the whole experience is pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing, right? I'll stop and take a break. Back in a minute here on Travel with Anita and Friends.
1: If you miss the train I'm on, you will know that I am gone. You can.
0: It's fun to look back over my year in travel and share it with you. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. Now, here's my show with Doc Bill returning to tell us about food maps and how foods originate in one place and they travel to other destinations, just like us. Here's Doc Bill where he shares how they become part of our celebrations and our religious festivities.
2: One of the most well-documented sources, in my experience, of food and, and mythologies or food and religion is, is, is Joseph Campbell in his book, The Historical Atlas of World Religions. And I'm saying that because uh, food and its culture are uniquely tied. Uh, you can basically look at food and think of it in, in two terms. of uh, Terms of hunter-gatherer societies and societies which are agricultural societies. Another way of summarizing is the god or the goddess. Uh, Nature is not gender neutral. Most hunter-gatherer societies, pretty much all that we know today, are are male-oriented societies. And these were people that would gather or kill the animals around them, and there were ceremonies associated with that. And they also gathered roots. Most of the gathering of the roots and stuff was done by the women, and the hunting was done by the men. And at the conclusion of each, there was some type of ceremony, some atonement where people were acknowledged, I got this from something better, greater than myself, and I must give something back to nature. On the other side, in the agricultural societies, it's all the goddess, the female powers. In the New World Society, it's corn, beans, and squash. And again, it's basically a primary grain, and it's a story or a myth associated with that. But in both of, of, of religion and culture, as, as human beings... We put ourselves in harmony with nature. We don't modify nature. Even today we think we can change. You don't modify nature. Nature has a way of doing things and it's way bigger and greater than we are. When you put yourself in phase with nature, and all ceremonies, all religions, from Thanksgiving, all these holidays we look at, which are remnants of these old ancient past passageways, they teach you to put yourself in harmony with nature, and nature yields its bounty. This, the ceremonies associated with the salmon runs are associated with going to catch the salmon. When the salmon are running, nature gets its bounty. The corn harvest says harvest at this time of the year, because that's when the plant will yield you its most. So you yield or you bend to nature, and nature gives you its bounty.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the you know food and religion, though in particular, um, sort of how those two particular foods became... Uh, connected with a religious ceremony
2: most of them are the principal grain if you're on the agricultural side that provides people their nourishment uh there's the green corn ceremony in native americans there's rice ceremonies in china and in japan the last meal the last thing you get served in these societies in, in any meal is rice it's what keeps society going it's supposed to present large amounts of large amounts Again, I said before, it's the protein that you get from animal matter. We talk about plant-based societies um, or plant-based nutrition, but it's that um, grain plus the pulse that gives you all the protein you need in those societies. And protein is the most valuable source in um, human nutrition. And if you want to learn about it, a lot about human nutrition, what to eat or what not eat, but many diets, the best source. Um, you can go to nutritionists, but I, I say the people do I find know the most about nutrition are hunters and farmers because they have to prepare the food and they learn what goes into the food is what you get out of the food. Mm-hmm. And unless you're a nutritionist to spend some time on a farm to see what happens or some time out in the field hunting, sometimes that connection is lost.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit also too about uh, we talked uh, mentioned the Middle East. Uh, what are some food items that have come out of the Middle East that are now in other places and we feel as though, well, that's a traditional food that we, we eat there but actually it originated in the Middle East. Well,
2: their beans and their wheat. For instance, um, a, lot of the, a lot of the grain dishes we think about, the rice dishes come from there. Uh, everyone thinks about falafel. Well, the chickpea came from that parts of the Middle East and some parts maybe from Northern Africa as well. But uh, falafel is a thing where you just basically take a, a pea, you grind it up and um, it's eaten with some type of flatbread. Again, the bread gives you part of the protein. The chickpea gives the other part. And you have a complete meal. But falafels found all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the most of the domestic animals we eat, uh, the sheep, the goat, the cow, they all, and the pig, they all come from the Middle East. Ooh. That's where the highest. Um, nice, I'm using this term as far as the oldest records show where you had high order civilizations from the Middle East. That's where uh, most of the evidence comes from. And then from there, it panned out around the world.
0: I knew the goat, but I wasn't
2: aware that the, the pig also. A lot of the pigs, um, particularly the current pig we think about, comes from the Middle East area and parts of North Africa. The pig that people are eating in West Africa came from, um, came from, came from the Middle East. And we eat pork all around the world. And the pig is an animal that grows very quickly. It can pretty much eat everything. And it's like us human beings. If you look at a human being, we argue about whether we should be plant-based or non-plant-based. Look in your mouth. You've got teeth, the incisors, which are ripping and tearing. You've got molars for grinding. Machinery in our mouths that allowed us to eat both. And we needed to eat both because there really is not that much out there to eat. So it gives you that diversity with it but if our numbers are really really large you have to be plant based because there's not many animals out there when your numbers are really small you can become more um animal based what we call the paleo diet is the hunter gatherer diet what we call the the vegan diet is the um plant agricultural plant. diet mm-hmm. is agricultural diet and all these forms have with the myths and they've been there for a long time they live in us mm-hmm. and um if we try to ignore them you know they show they rear their heads again or we do things which we think is new but our ancestors who were on these diets before um you know did, you know it's, been, been, around for a it's while. been around a long time it's in our genes as part of us
0: well you know there's something that uh, I found really fascinating too is how you can have one person or you can have uh, certain situations that really heavily influence how things become culturally attached to, to a place. And I'm thinking about Ireland and St. Patrick. Uh, I had on my show a couple of years ago, Dr. Campbell who talked about the influence of St. Patrick on the food and how as he traveled around Ireland, People started to eat the particular foods
3: that he ate. So I want to play a little clip from this. The, the Irish tended to keep medicines aside, so there was a huge medicinal population of Druids who had all sorts of remedies and cures uh, and, and their own spiritual belief. But the Romans provided a lot of the raw material. I mean, whenever you look at what, during St. Patrick's time, he escaped from Ireland with some sailors. Now, they were exporting pelts and furs and hides, but they were importing food. They were importing wine and beer and stuff that they couldn't make themselves. So there was obviously a big culinary, um, you know, and bringing in salt, which we don't have in Ireland, potatoes, because they, they came back with... with um, the English in the in the 1500s from South America. So we, we didn't have potatoes. Potatoes now is the real staple diet of what we do. You rarely have something to eat in Ireland without a potato. But of course, back in Patrick's day, there were no potatoes. So they were, they were eating other things.
0: Pretty fascinating,
2: huh? It is. I mean, Ireland's a great society and culture to look at. A, a potato can grow. You can grow large amounts of starch in a potato field than you can in a wheat field. Um and so people really adopted to that a small farmer can grow a lot of potatoes they store fairly well, and you can have them to eat very very well. The problem is they don't store as long as, as um wheat does, and the other problem was it is it was mostly a mono crop, so when something happened, you had many varieties of wheat and barley over in the new world, but you only had pretty, very few varieties of potatoes so when the blight hit uh that crop got devastated, and people were used to eating that crop in large in large amounts. And when that was your principal form of a carbohydrate, uh, you got starvation.
0: Well, I want to go back to something else that you said a little while ago, too. um, And that is that the tomato, uh, we think of that as being uh, associated with Italy and Italian food. So where is the tomato from?
2: Tomatoes are from the Mexico area. The New World had a hesitancy because some people thought tomatoes were poisonous because they're a member of of, of a family, which is the nightshade family. Same as families, potatoes, and um, other crops like that. But they, they aren't. They grow very well. they are actual plants that grow year-round in that climate they're from.
0: Wow. You know, I always love having Doc Bill on the show. And this year I was able to bring him back for a couple of shows. Actually, this was Food Maps Part 1. There was a Part 2 as well. So I want you to go over to my website, TravelWithAnita.com, and listen to the whole show of Food Maps Part 1 and then Food Maps Part 2. And when I come back, I'm going to share another one of my favorite shows from this year where I talk with food expert jessica b harris who wrote the book high on the hog that became a series a doctor series on netflix and she talks more about food in her whole segment but on this one i share when she talks about how african uh, foods influence american cuisine so we'll stop here take a break and when we come back i'll share all of that with you here on travel with anita and friends This is not just what we pass down to others. It's also traditions, culture, and ways of life that can cross oceans. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. My guest, Dr. Jessica B. Harris, is a culinary historian. She's also the author of the cookbook, High on the Hog, which is now a Netflix docuseries. And in this segment, she shares how the country Benin is also a large part of the human cargo trade. And she shares how and why this docuseries was filmed in Benin. Tell me about Benin and why it's important to the black food history and to us as enslaved people.
4: Okay, um beware and take care of the bite of Benin. There's few who come out, although many go in. That was what the sailors used to say. The bite of Benin was the largest of all of the slave exporting places. Okay? It wasn't Senegal. It wasn't God. It was Benin. And it was one of the latest places. We're talking well into the nineteenth century that this happens. It turns out that there were well, there were a lot of, of, of wars between the ewe and the Igbo and the yoruba and for for primacy you know power mm-hmm. and because of the wars you know they lost whoever lost the battle was coming over here mm-hmm. so that happened and they were um a lot of the people and they talk about this in high on the hog the series. if you listen very carefully when the african historian is speaking He says, we were complicit. Mm -hmm. He says that it's shameful, but we were complicit. Mm -hmm. And that's part of it too. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the story in all of those places. Exactly. That complicity with Europeans, Mm -hmm. that means you've sold your brother or your cousin or your cousin from across the way over there. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how the process worked. Mm so Benin is an extraordinary place because it has a very alive sense of some of that Mm -hmm. I know that many people here are from Senegambia Sierra Leone Liberia that area because it was rice growing but Benin in another kind of way because of the sheer numbers it just stops you for a moment, it doesn't definitely it? definitely will yeah. take your breath away. Yeah, stop you for a moment. I mean, and I know that when, when the producers, Karis Jagger and um, Fabian Toback, were talking with um, Roger Ross Williams about where to go to film this thing, mm-hmm. um, none of them had had any real experience of that western part of the continent. Mm-hmm. And because it is less well-known, Mm-hmm. A lot of African-Americans know Senegal, mm-hmm. and they know the House of the Slaves, and they've gone to Goree Island, and they got that one. Not quite as many, but I think today a lot more are knowing Ghana and Cape Coast and Elmina, and they've got that one. Mm-hmm. Very few know Benny. hmm That was also the reason to go film there. hmm
0: and there was that road in the film, too, that you're walking down, mm-hmm. that it's the same road that yep they would have yeah. traveled. Red
4: laterite road. You know, people talk about the red clay of Georgia. Yeah. Imagine. You've been on this thing that is bouncing you up and down, and you're in mm-hmm. people's poo, and it, it's unspeakable. Yeah. And you get off, and a lot was designed to disorient you. Yeah same damn red clay you know where did I go what what happens to me Mm -hmm. so there is all of that wrapped up in it too Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, but in talking about travel to places with this type of um, history like when we go to Africa should we look for you know having something that's familiar you know the black eyed peas we've talked about the rice we've talked about just some of the things that are home here you know when we're Mm -hmm. at home traditional dishes that we have those are kind of things would you suggest that to get more of that um, involved connective right
4: experience right. okay here's several things first of all we all generally speaking talk about Africa it is a continent Mm-hmm. and as a continent it is so extraordinarily diverse um, you may remember the the children's story about the blind men and the elephant yeah Okay, somebody grabbed the leg and said, oh my God, this is a tree trunk. It is like a tree trunk. Somebody else grabbed the, the snout and said, oh my Lord, it's like a snake. It's our ticket. Somebody grabbed the tail. And thought, It's that. The part of the continent that you grab may be the part that tells you what it is. And you don't see the full elephant until mm-hmm. you've either done an all. Off- I don't know that anybody's ever seen the full elephant. But, for example, um, on uh, Friday night, we had two dishes from the continent. We had uh, chicken yassa, yasaganar, mm-hmm. which is Senegalese. It is not just Senegalese, and here's how we start to drill down on the continent. Yasaganar is Senegalese, yassa, the dish, ganar, chicken. Yassa ganar is from the Casamos region of Senegal, so mm-hmm. we drill down even further. further. So we now have West Africa coming down to Senegal, coming down to um, the casamos. And the casamos is the southern part of Senegal. It is the rice growing part. Mm -hmm. It wasn't served that way on Friday, but traditionally that is served over white rice. Mm. The other dish that we had was the um, jollof rice. And the jollof rice is probably also Senegalese in origin. It is... I suspect, uh, a variation on chebujan, chebujan being the national dish of Senegal. Mm -hmm. Chebujan is that rice, but that rice is served with vegetables and fish that's cooked in it. Mm -hmm. So that you've got um, a kind of fish that's called a dem, and it's a a flat fish, it's a, a flaky flat fish um, mm-hmm. and you serve it in steaks We've got a filling uh, that is garlic and parsley that would be cut into little mm-hmm. pockets in That's the fish delicious. and then it's served, that red rice has the fish, it has little baby eggplant, it has carrots, it mm-hmm. has, it can have pepper but not, I mean bell pepper but not always and that all together is the che Okay. Okay. And so cheboujen is the national dish of Senegal. Mm-hmm. And the cheboujen then um, morphs and travels within the African continent, and it goes south. So it goes to um, probably Ghana and Nigeria, where it becomes jollof rice. Mm-hmm. Why jollof? Because in Senegal, the Jolof empire is located Mm -hmm. or was located spelled slightly differently Mm -hmm. but you've got that so it takes the name of the empire Mm -hmm. the empire of the Wolof people which was called the Jolof Empire so it becomes Jolof rice which means if you think about it they're already acknowledging where it's from Mm -hmm. because it's Jolof rice okay so that's what happens there and then that if you start to think about it and if you remember it from Friday crosses the water Mm -hmm. and over here becomes you know the answer red rice red rice Mm -hmm. there you go Mm -hmm. so that's that's how that thing goes and you take it down to Louisiana and put some chicken in it and you got jambalaya Mm -hmm. so all of those things are you know how that works
0: yeah it's really interesting to kind of follow the food ways and how, how it changes and adapts to you know the different cultures indeed when we think of of all of the study and the work that's being done on food where do you want to see that go
4: Ideally, I would like food to bring us together. Um, We are getting increasingly apart. And food has the potential to bring us together. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things I would like to see food do. But I also think I want food to inform us. A lot of us don't know who we are. I don't know who I am. I've never done any genealogical mm-hmm. research. But um, but I think that, that knowing um, as we drove by the store the first time mm-hmm. I looked at it and I said oh my lord look at that. That's the Sankofa bird. Mm-hmm. The Ghanaian Adinkra symbol. Mm-hmm. The gold weight symbol of the bird that's kind of got its head turned to look back. Mm-hmm. Because you don't know where you're going unless you know where you've been mm-hmm. so that whole idea of go back and fetch it mm-hmm. go back and get that knowledge of where you've been so you can use it to move yourself forward I think it's part of that if there's such a thing as legacy mm-hmm. that's an important part of
0: it uh, when you have the opportunity to talk to a world renowned expert like Jessica B. Harris you definitely want to take that chance I'll stop here and when I come back but to talk about another one of my favorite shows, where Doc Wheel comes back, and we head over to St. Augustine. You know, travel with Anita and friends. Now, if going to the beach and having a fun time on the beach is your kind of thing. I've got the spot for you. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. And I'm here with Doc Bill. Yes, Doc Bill is back on the show with me. It's good to have you back, Doc Bill, especially talking about a trip where we recently had a chance to go and had such a great time as well. Down to St. Augustine, Florida, and it's not that far either.
2: No, it's not. It's not that far if you're in South Georgia, and it's not that far if you're in North Georgia, particularly the Gainesville area or the Atlanta area. It's mm. something you could do in one day, have a great time, crash in some of the uh, beautiful historic hotels and motels in that region, and at the end of the, and at the end of a couple of days, come back.
0: Yeah. And then the last segment, we talked a little bit about two of our favorite places, going to the Castillo de San Marcos, uh, the fourth there, as well as going to the Fountain of Youth, checking out that water to see if it's mystical or if there's some truth to it. But we also had a chance to go to the beach and had some fun there. You can bike on the beach there. I love that.
2: Yeah, you know, the biking was fun. I mean, the, you, they have bikes available for you to bike. You can either go by land or you can go by sea. Um, but it's a neat place to go and enjoy that. You, the Wind wasn't that strong. The beach had certain areas where the sand was not that compact. So you could find a port on the beach where the sand was fairly firm and ride your bike to your heart's mm. content.
0: Yeah, that was really great. We're talking about Anastasia State Park, where you can go to the beach there. They also have kayaking. Now, it was a little rainy that day. We didn't go out on the kayaks, but um, you can definitely kayak there. I've done that in the past, kayaking right there from the beach, which is a lot of fun, going out, being out on the water, especially when it's calm. And biking, as we just mentioned, but also if you just want to stroll and check out some of the, you know, just the seashore, see what folks are doing and, you know, how they're spending the day. or just being you know reflective just with yourself you can do that as well just taking a walk down the beach and of course if you're there with families it's great for building some sandcastles
2: it's also good birding is really good in that area there you see a lot of coastal birds and birds that are migrating from the florida back up to georgia so it's kind of neat to take in all that a lot of wildlife out there you can see sometimes dolphins in the surf yeah again you know uh, it's a lot of activity out there in the water
0: well, we also it took some time to do some picnicking as well. So there are some picnic tables there that are perfect for just bringing a lunch, really making a full day, I would say, of it. And then bringing something for, you know, for a picnic, stopping midday, having that picnic and then picking right back up. Because the other thing we didn't mention is you can just kind of, you know, put your towel on the beach and just relax and just do that as well take a nap on the beach (laughs) so that is definitely another one that is high on both of our lists and we really enjoyed that bicycling because you can rent the bikes right there Uh, it's really easy to you know get over to the you know to the shore and just ride along the shore and have a really nice day out there
2: you also have a golf cart rental too so if you want to rent a golf cart in that area there you can do that as well
0: Yeah, well, golf carts are great as well, too. That just proves the accessibility of that particular beach and that state park. So we always want to, you know, point that out as well, too, that, you know, don't hold back, you know, because you feel like you can't, you know, access things because it's quite accessible there. But now let's talk about another fun thing that we did. (laughs) And that was going to the alligator farm. Now, what did you think about that? that was, it was neat.
2: I mean, it's a series of a of a gorgeous alligator farm. They pretty much, not just alligators, it has a whole variety of reptiles, yep. and as well as um, amphibians as well. And as such and other uh, usual animals around the world. You can uh, make this pretty much an all-day event by touring it, seeing the live exhibits and the shows they have. You can either see it by land, or you can get on the zip line and see it by air.
0: <laughs> That's true. It does have a ropes course. Now, the couple that was with us did the full ropes course, and it is really about stretching your adventure with that. I mean, literally, you are stepping across some pretty wide spaces there and walking on boards and ropes and kind of tying yourself in and out. But that seems like that would be a really, really great way also, though, to see the alligator farm.
2: Well, it is. I mean, you literally, you with the zip line go over the alligator exhibits. You know, I mm-hmm. just don't want to become part of the gator food chain. But, <laughs> no, it's pretty safe. I mean, that's not it issue. is safe, you yeah. Are literally an is going across the gator pits.
0: Yeah yeah I mean you're just kind of gliding across but I'm thinking that the gators probably a little accustomed to that so they're probably not looking up for their food. <laughs>
2: probably
0: not <laughs> they're not looking up to see what may be going across but speaking of looking up i mean there were also some very interesting birds there too and uh, as you mentioned you know some of the reptiles and things like that but it's really very fascinating and what i found interesting too was to see how many families were there so the alligator farm i would say it's definitely if you're traveling with a family that's one you want to put high on your list because you could spend the whole day there uh just checking out things and it's a great educational experience also true for young kids to learn about animals see them in somewhat of a natural, a natural habitat there as well uh, in, the, in the farm.
2: Yeah, a few like alligators. It's not just alligators. It's alligators and crocodiles. Yeah, crocodiles. Of all the alligators, crocodiles, and caimans around the world, they have one of every, particularly every species out there in the world. Uh, They have an area of Nile crocodiles. They have an area of the uh, famous uh, Australian crocodiles. Uh, They have uh, American um, alligators, uh, caiman, and crocodiles in South America. Literally, you can see an alligator (laughs) from all parts of the world, from very small to very large. They have a lot of live models. You can actually measure yourself and get on the model and stuff and, and, and play with them and wrestle with them the kids will love that part and they have a lot of yeah. birds in that area and with reptiles they even have uh, some Komodo dragons um, they have a Komodo dragon exhibit with live Komodo dragons so there's a tremendous amount of um, animals in this place to see it's, it's, it's pretty unusual
0: well, you know, you did mention that there is one that you can kind of get, you know, get down on the ground with. But just so everyone knows that that's that's not a real one. And I think you have a picture somewhere in your collection of pictures of me on that on that gator. So <laughs> I might post that. I, I might post that on the on the website so people can see it. That was kind of fun to take those pictures. But it was you know it was kind of interesting to just imagine you know how large they are if for some reason you did have to tangle with what? I mean, they're pretty big.
2: (laughs) It is. You can be there at certain times of the day. You can check really when their schedules are, and they do seedings. Mm -hmm. And then they have a lot of shows. They have speakers and experts in those different um, aspects of the um, alligator and crocodile's giving great information and actually doing live shows and talking about them.
0: Yeah, like I mentioned, I mean, it's such a great educational uh, type experience for, for kids to learn about all of the animals and reptiles and everything, and just in their natural habitat, because they really have it set up so that it really feels like you're. Looking at them in their natural habitat, so really great for that. But now, one of the things that I love, Doc Bill, is sunsets. I mean, you know that. I'm sure people who follow me on Instagram, on uh, Anita and friends on, on Instagram, see all of my sunset pictures. So, if someone says, you know, let's go on a sunset sail or sunset cruise. I'm going to have my hand raised on that one. What about you?
2: It was great because you know you had you had nice champagne or wine to drink on the cruise
0: <laughs> Well, yeah that's always good too but you know it's nothing better than being out on the water and especially a city like st augustine because you really get a chance to see the cityscape from the water and it's so beautiful and we happen to be there around the time when it was just starting you know with all of the christmas decorations and things going up as well so you can really see the lights from the you know from the water but it's also you know a pirate ship that we were on which is pretty cool yeah, the schooner freedom
2: yeah it's a great boat, but it's you know it's a tall ship. So I mean, you got I mean, at a certain point we had enough wind, and we didn't have that much. But enough points where they could put the sail up and catch a little bit of the wind. But if you go there during certain parts of the, you know, the year and the wind's right, uh, you know, you're on a schooner. And yeah, that's, that's kind of neat to be on a schooner like that on the water. So not smooth ride.
0: Yeah, it was, it was a really, really nice evening. We, we got a really nice sunset too. So we'll put some of those pictures on the website. So it was a great evening for having that champagne, just sailing around, taking it, taking it easy. And we met some of the other, uh, people that were on the boat with us and had a chance to chat with them and find out some of the places they were from. Someone was there celebrating a birthday that was sitting nearby us. And then the other couple that we were there with, it was just fun to be out on the water with them. It was the first time we'd done that. And then to look over a city with so much history. History, I felt a couple of times, you know, that I could get a sense of what it would have been like, you know, as as the pirates and the sailors were coming into into the city. You really got a chance to see that. And that was the schooner freedom that gives you that sunset, that sunset sail. That's true. So would you do that again? Would you recommend that?
2: I would recommend people definitely to do that. I mean, it's not often you get on a, a, a schooner that size. And that's kind of neat.
0: Yeah, it was really, really great. Now, if you want to check out some of these things that we're talking about, definitely check out the website, floridahistoriccoast.com. You can start planning your trip there as well.